Hi folks, welcome back to another episode of the Boom Bash Cast with myself, Machu, and my brother, Alexander. We got off the battlefields not too long ago, our swords and shields are soaked in blood, so now's the time to relax, chill out, do an episode of the Boom Bast Cast. Let our guards down for a little bit. Not too long ago, we did uh, an episode on films that flopped. You know, some big financial disasters that would be jumping in. We're a big issue for the studios and the directors and such. But we're going to dive a little deeper. We're certain films kind of hang the careers or definitely put a stick in the spoke. Of uh, some careers. careers, and uh, we're gonna dive into that today, that today, folks. folks. So, so sit right back, sit right right back to your heritage. Tale of films that gone astray. Running through a couple of directors that hit these these bogus films, or not even bogus films, just films that didn't hit the zeitgeist right, and felt the burn, the burn. And uh, burdened and halted some people's careers, you know. Uh, first up is uh, John McTiernan, you know, from the Die Hard and Predator fame. Um, he did Rollerball in 2002, remake, you know, of, a, I think, the 70s version of it. Went over a little bigger. But uh, this was a gigantic problem for him. And uh, they like to say that this, because of that, you haven't seen him, and I don't think we have seen him. I believe he went to jail for a little bit for uh, lying on the stand, um, uh, protecting his own, I believe. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That could That's probably a bigger reason why we haven't seen him. But I don't think uh, – and he's getting older now. It's one of those things. I, he probably It's probably a wrap for him. And politics will probably keep him out a little bit because he's, you know, he broke the law. Um, next up, we have Todd Browning, who, who directed Freaks. You know, Todd Browning's notorious in the horror field for not only Freaks, but he directed Dracula, Dracul, Bela Lugosi. Um, gigantic horror film. But then Freaks came out. He did Freaks. Now, the thing with Freaks, it was way ahead of its time. Um, what he did with the horrific nature to the film is what he did is he used actual people for, that were, you know, quote-unquote freaks. I don't like to use that term, but like quote-unquote freaks and Circus folks, which probably is a, is a worse fucking thing to say. Um, but, like, all those types. And he made, like, a horror movie revolving around that. And the, the horror of it's really kind of the horror of society and the way they're treated. And they get their upcomings and they, you know, they get their revenge. I think that's what scared people so much is that the society at that time and probably still now, you know, they kind of look at people that are differently. And, and differently. They look at them differently. And I think they were all felt guilty of it. And when they watched a film of the, the people that they looked down on getting their comeuppings, that they were, um, they boycotted and hated it. I think I often said it in a show before, I said it was kind of like if you were to do a, if you were to bring a movie into, you know, in the days of slavery, if you were going to bring a movie to a plantation and play it for the, the people that don't, you know, the plantation owners and the movie was all about the slaves rising up and killing the plantation owners and taking over the plantation, they wouldn't like that movie. That wouldn't be their favorite movie. You know, it'd be a little too real for them. So I think that that's why Freaks had that, 
you know, had that effect on Todd Browning's career. Yeah, I mean, when you have um, a, uh, a group of people that people look down on, and then, yeah, do a story where those that people have looked down upon, you know, finally get the upper hand and put you in your place because of all the horrible things you do. I mean, those people are going, of course, definitely have issues with the film. Our boy Ron Underwood made the list as well for you know, the Adventures of Pluto Nash, which I know you wanted to state earlier that every every article of research that we came across for this uh, these two episodes of movies that lost money and were flops, Pluto Nash was right at the top of the list on every single one. Yeah, which is hilarious because I mean, like I said before, I, I mean, I could think of at least one other Eddie Murphy movie which. I'm surprised I did not find on any of these lists. Maybe yeah. it did a lot better than I thought. Um, but, uh, yeah, Pluto Nash was kind of the, the, uh, the uh, black sheep uh, of, of the uh, films that Eddie Murphy did that uh, was uh, a, a constantly considered one of the worst. Well, Pluto Nash yeah. got to be one of the biggest disappointments at the box office. Uh, Ron Underwood, of course, from the great Tremors and City Slickers. Like you, you've been, you brought up City Slickers, not in that way, but you brought up City Slickers a little bit earlier. I uh, directed both of those. Those are big, big films of their times. But yeah, Pluto Nash cost $100 million to make, only made $7 million back. Ooh, and that right wow. there. When, you, when, you, when the budget, this is what they say in Hollywood, if the budget is $100 million and you make $7 million back, they say go grab your clothes and pack because it's over. You finished, unless you know, unless you have a friend helping you in the business, some family or something like that helping you out, like in Richard Ramirez Jr.'s circumstances. Um, next up, we have Pinocchio from 2002, Roberto Benigni. Um, imagine life is beautiful. You know what I mean? Okay. Now, life is beautiful is a, a film from I think the early 2000s, maybe the late 90s. It was a very artistic film. I know. Uh, I think it was nominated and won the Best Foreign Academy Award film that year. I know Miramax released it. I have the script for it somewhere above me in, in the bookshelf. Um, good flick, but yeah, yeah, I think that they went. The deal with that was he went into a, he, the direction. Uh, it was life is beautiful was such a highly praised movie. I think he fell into that burden of um, the follow up, which the, the follow up in itself is painful. And when you're an independent filmmaker like that, it's very tricky where you can have that success. And like I often say, that follow up to the success is more important than that actual success. You know what I mean? The way you follow it up, and uh, you know you gotta you gotta put out a certain amount of successful films before you have any type of, you know, uh, you know, you know, catching, you know, net catchers net to catch you and protect and, you and from real clout. And yeah. They have some clout to really like be able to take a, take a unsuccessful film. You really got to build it up. Unless of course you have a friend that's helping you, which, you know, there's a lot of people that have friends that help them in the business. Um, next up, the league of extra extraordinary gentlemen. <laughs> You know what I mean? In 2003, Stephen Norrington. Yeah. Uh, this was all a. Right. All right, for the record, okay, I know I'm going to get uh, some uh, issues with this, but I actually enjoy the movie. It's... I yeah, I remember it not being that bad. I I, I remember. I, I mean, I mean, the thing is, I understand where some people had a problem with it, 
Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing is, I also read the um, graphic novel. Okay. And, and yeah, it's definitely not. I mean, of course, uh, if you think about it, like the true villain, if I remember correctly, in the graphic novel, uh, wouldn't have. Um, how should I say? Fit into uh, you know today's uh, canon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those deals. But um, well, I, I mean, I mean, the thing is that also another thing I think was against it was most. I mean, I grew like I said before. I grew up reading a lot of classical literature. I read. The Portrait of Dorian Gray. I read uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Love that book. Yeah. The original book. Um, so, uh, 20,000 Leagues on the Sea. All these stories I've read. Now, you talk to a lot of people nowadays. I mean, if they even know about these characters, it's only because of a movie adaptation that was created. Not because they read any of the books. Very. I mean, you talk to uh, a lot of people... I, I doubt anyone would know that there was even a book, The Portrait of Dorian Gray. They, they would just assume that, oh, it was a character made up for, you know, League of X, Gentlemen, or, or, or one of the many other interpretations. Right. Uh, and the thing is, for me, I love the fact that you took all these classic characters from literature and you put them into kind of like an Avengers-style team. I liked it. It, it was, you know, something I was really psyched about. Um, I think that it fell flat in some of the, um, you know, uh, some of it being uh, some of the production elements and, and some of, of, of those kind of, and, and some of the plot elements. I know, I mean, for example, they brought in, like, Tom Sawyer. The only reason they brought in Tom Sawyer was... So they had a character that they were sure that even that most people from America would actually know from because I mean most people I believe at least learned about Tom Sawyer in school. Um, but in the original comic book, Tom Sawyer was not a part of of the league. Um, and of course, there were a few other things where they tried to do things like that mm-hmm. to you know connect with the broader audience that might or might not know much about these characters. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it, but um, I can see why it didn't do that well, because most people don't don't care about these characters of yesteryear. You know, Stephen Nor. Stephen Norrington, I want to give credit to because, you know, he did a, he's he, a special effects guy too. You know what I mean? Um, he did like arena. He did uh, aliens. He was a part of hardwood, uh, hardware, you know, our boy Richard Stanley who appeared on shock treatment, um, you know, split second, um, alien three, you know, exorcist to beginning a little later in life and harbinger down. But, you know, yeah, as a director, you got to give the homeboy kudos too, because, you know, Death Machine was a very fun movie of its time. You know, I own that on VHS and DVD, so it can't be that bad. Blade, of course, you know what I mean? Uh, fantastic. The original's great. Overshadowed a little bit by part two, because you got Guillermo del Toro killing it. Like, he's such a talented filmmaker that I think the part two almost overshadows part one, but part one's still a great film. 
the last minute I never seen uh, in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. They they kind of capped him off. So he, uh, for whatever reason, I think uh, that was it was retirement time at that point. You know what I mean? But uh, he had definitely had a good run. You know what I mean? And who knows? He could be bad. Next up, the Scarlet Letter, nineteen ninety five. Roland Joff. Now, I remember I thought this movie was a success. You know what I mean? Didn't this get numerous Oscar nominations, if not win? I thought it did. Um, maybe. Um, I, have, I have to admit, I, I don't even remember this one. I want to say this was nominated. This, oh, you don't remember it? It was a period piece. I believe it was Gary Oldman and Wyona Ryder. Um, oh, and it, she has, she was like married, but had a romance with Gary Oldman. So she, well, I, I mean, I actually knew of the original story, the Scarlet Letter. I just didn't remember of this movie adaptation to be perfectly oh, yeah. honest. Oh yeah. You're really missing out. I think now oh. I, I believe it was, it may know it was Demi Moore. It wasn't Wyona Ryder. Yeah. Yeah. Demi Moore, Gary Oldman. I'm, I'm checking it out right now. Also Robert Duvall was in it too. Oh, my boy, Bobby D, the real Bobby D. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, the, you know, this gentleman right here, I think he was also known for, uh, he did Mario Brothers, if I remember correctly, too. He's still kicking it and going. Um, directed a lot, this director directed a lot of TV, so it didn't really fit, end his career. The Killing Fields he did, I know that was a big deal. The Mission with De Niro, um, that was a big deal. Um, you know what I mean? The Scarlet Letter. After the Scarlet Letter, uh, he it, it did fizzle a little bit. Like he's not really he's not, he's done some TV and stuff. Nothing big. Not, I think they kind of fizzled him out because nothing is the biggest thing he probably did was probably the Mission or the Killing Fields. Um, and I think that the, you know because those were before that movie, they're probably writing him off as you know his career being over. Or the Scarlet Letter really putting a putting a hurting on him. You know what I mean? But I do remember that being praised. If I remember correctly, The Scarlet Letter was nominated for Academy Awards, if not um, won an Academy Award or two. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, um, being nominated or uh, getting an award doesn't necessarily translate to a box office. Yeah. Because, I mean, the thing is that, uh, I mean, it could be like a very, you know, good, uh, well-crafted movie and just the audience wasn't there or the audience wasn't in the mood for, for it. So, I mean, that that could be a possibility yeah. why it didn't do as well as, as it should have. Yeah. Next up, we have uh, Michael Powell from Peeping Tom, 1960. You know, he was a very promising director. Uh, you know what I mean? He did films like The 49th Parallel, The Red Shoes, of course. But Peeping Tom was the film that they say did him in. I think a lot of his movies, I think The Red Shoes and Peeping Tom, he can get on Criterion. You know what I mean? I don't know about The 49th Parallel. But, uh, well, but the uh, Peeping Tom's, you know, kind of, it was a dark movie for its time. I think in the same way that Freaks kind of bothered people, this one kind of might have bothered him a little bit. Um and just was hard for him to recover from, and uh, I don't think he—I don't think he got to recover too heavy or anything. What's your take? Yeah. yeah. The um, you're not familiar, eh? Not no, not really. Uh, this uh, it's a new one on me. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing is that uh, I'm just glancing uh, quickly at, 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 like, the trailer is definitely uh, a more dark, probably a psychological thriller type. And, you know, and if I, I remember correctly, yeah. uh, like 49th Parallel and Red Shoes, that's more dramatic, um, you know, Oscar bait. And, uh, uh, I mean, that could possibly be the thing. I mean, uh, very few people can seem to jump from, you know, uh, something like, you know, Oscar-winning movies to something that is more, dare to say, in our genre, which is more horror or thriller. I mean, not everyone's Alfred Hitchcock who can, you know, you know, jump into and do Psycho. I mean, when he was doing Psycho, there was so many people who were like, this is going to destroy your career, you know? This is like nothing more than a slasher film. And, you know, you're known for all these great, you know, psychological thrillers. You know, this is a step down for you. So, you know, that might be the case with this, where, you know, he did these, you know, really great uh, artistic, you know, dramatic films, and then he you know, did this Peeping Tom, which you know, looks more of like a, you know, a, a thriller, uh, you know, a, more of a B-movie-esque. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, next up, we got um, North. They say that Rob Reiner lost it at North, and I can kind of see their thing with the, what their, their vibe with it is like their better work was before it. So I think they're kind of claiming movies that jumped the shark a little bit or maybe ruined it because, you know, leading up and up to this point, Rob Reiner was killing it pretty heavy to, you know, he had, of course, he had the great Stand By Me, which is fantastic. The Princess Bride, which I know is one of your favorite oh, movies of all time. This is Spinal Tap, you know, a great thing. When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men, you know what I mean? Then he hits North in 1994 and uh, decides to go south, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, followed up with American President. Ghost of Mississippi, I remember not being as bad, but I'd have to give it a rewatch. Then the, you got, like, Rumor Has It, which I don't even want to mention the name. Bucket List and stuff. LBJ, he did. I don't even know that he did that. Um, but, yeah, Rob Reiner is a dude that uh, he's meathead, yo. I, I enjoy some Rob Reiner for sure. Heck yeah. No. Well, I mean, I mean, the thing is that um, I mean, uh, first of all, I mean, when when you do uh, as 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 uh, big films like that, sooner or later you're going to hit something that is not big or, or is is going to not be as 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 successful as. I mean, you can't always be on the top all the time. Of course, I and, agree. Now, I didn't see North. I know North has been on a bunch of, like, uh, review shows where people just ripping the part. Yeah. Um, I, I, I haven't seen it, so I can't really put much uh, one way or the other about it. There was a horrifying story I heard recently involving Rob Reiner. And uh, the little girl from the Poltergeist films, Heather O'Rourke. Uh-oh. 
Yeah, I don't want to speculate. I like Rob Reiner a lot because um, Meathead, of course. And he's a talented filmmaker. He comes from, you know, film royalty, Carl Reiner, his father. And I think the grandfather was even somebody. But I heard some dark shit that I don't want to speculate on. So I hope that's not true. But uh, don't speculate on it, buddy boy. Don't speculate. I mean, well, that's why I didn't speculate. <laughs> Trust me, I heard more of the story that I'm not going into. You know what I mean? Trust me. All I'm going to do is speculate that I heard these things. Um, and I'm going to also speculate that I don't know the truth. And I could be completely wrong. But I just heard, I literally heard that this week. So that's why it popped in my head when you said that. Um, I, I heard, yeah, it's almost like the Jerry Van Dyke. Karen, I heard a horror story about Jerry Van Dyke not too long ago uh, that we won't speculate on. But. We'll, we'll kick it into gear a little bit. Um, so next up, you know, Rob Reiner, his acting career is still booming. So I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't think they get shut down. They also have our boy John Carpenter in the mix here with Ghosts of Mars. And I do kind of have to agree a little bit with this, even though I think Vampires is a better film. I think Vampires came out right after this, I believe. I could be wrong, but I believe it went Ghosts of Mars that vampire hunters and ghost of Mars is one of those movies where it's not good for sure, but every now and then it's fun to bring it on, pop it on and watch it, you know, cause it has Carpenter's style. It is kind of a weird, crazy movie that like, you know, um, it's very Carpenter-ish. It's got the soundtrack, of course. Um, I don't know. It's one of those movies that catches a lot of hate, like a lot of hate. I think that, I think, Ghosts of Mars catches more hate than any other Carpenter film. And that's more, even more hate than, um, what do you call it? Um, 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 invisible memoirs of an invisible man, which is, is horrified. You know what I mean? Village of the damned. If you see the uncut version, it's all right. But I, I, I still think Ghosts of Mars is better than village of the damned and, uh, memoirs of an invisible man, of course. But yeah, vampires came out right before Ghosts of Mars. So yeah, it's true to say, that Ghost of Mars was a rap for Carpenter. They didn't let him make a movie for a long time. And uh, the next thing he made after that was he, he did the Masters of Horror um, series for Mick Garris, which was great. It was great to see Carpenter back in action. And then they gave him the ward after that, after his re- resurfacing. And the ward's not a bad movie. It's a lot like Shutter Island. I think too much like Shutter Island. And... And Shutter Island came out right before that. The ward almost feels like they were trying to exploit Shutter Island, which was terrible. You know what I mean? It felt like they were trying to make a ripoff of, Sh- of Shutter Island when it was like Carpenter is like a king. Like, just let Carpenter do a Carpenter movie and you would have been better off. Um, I don't know how. In- I think somebody else might have wrote, wrote it. That might have been the deal. But, yeah, I guess you could probably say Carpenter probably. I hate to say he fell off. I love him so much. And I do think with the right people helping him, I think he could make another really good Carpenter movie. I know he's had his hand in the last, uh, the, 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 the new Halloween movies and they're fucking knocking it out of the park. So it is what it is. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, Carpenter, I guess if they wanted to say that, I'm not going to argue it with them because it kind of makes sense. But, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Ghost of Mars is a fun watch on the right night. I'll say that, but I do understand people saying that it's a, it's a wrap. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I saw that. I 
I thought it was okay. I mean, I wasn't a fan, and I I didn't dislike it. I was kind of like, yeah, it was it was okay. Definitely not as as good as as other stuff he's done. Uh, every now, I want to say every couple of years, I would pull it out and watch it, and it would I wouldn't be I wouldn't hate it as much. When I originally watched it, I didn't like it because you're expecting you're expecting to see a Carpenter film on the same par as the other Carpenter films. Um, and you're not, and you know, I really, I think the last really good Carpenter film, if you want to say jumping the shark, I'd say in the mouth of madness is probably the last, uh, really good Carpenter film. Um, but I like vampires a lot. I think vampires is a good flick. Uh, ghost of Mars isn't the worst thing in the world. The ward isn't even the worst thing in the world. It's just, I think I, when I, when I watched it, it, it screamed out Shutter Island ripoff to me, which was unfortunate because John Carpenter is so great, shouldn't be doing any type of ripoff movie. And I think that whoever wrote the script was intentionally trying to do a drunk, uh, trying to do a ripoff movie of that type of style of film. And um, Carpenter probably had his own thing. I'm not saying Carpenter was ripping it off, but I think the right whoever wrote it was definitely leaning more towards that. Um, but next up. We got one other filmmaker on the docket, Richard Kelly. Um, they like to say that when he did Southland Tales, that it was a wrap for him. That was the beginning of the end for that boss. Now, you know, Donnie Darko's his his big deal. Everybody loves Donnie Darko, even when they shouldn't. You know what I mean? Donnie Darko's is one of those movies that. I've watched it and I don't understand. I mean, it's it's like I kind of got the same thing like Repo the Genetic Opera, where I understand people love it. I don't know why, but I'll, I allow them to love that and I can respect the fact that they love it. Um, and Donnie Darko, it's 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 like it's it's a movie that's a mediocre movie that has been praised up so much that it makes people that don't really like it hate it. Let's just say that. That's what Donnie Darko is. Um, and if Donnie Darko wasn't as successful, it would I'd probably look at it in a better light. I'd go, wow, very artistically done film, um, which says something, says, you know, that's weird things to say, I guess, when you say if it had less success. It's a weird deal. It's, uh, but yeah, Donnie Darko fucking took the world by storm a little bit at the time. Uh, he followed that up with Domino. He didn't direct it, but he wrote it. I think Tony Scott directed it. And uh, I thought Domino was really good. It was Tony Scott, definitely, because the style was Tony Scott's style. Um, rest in peace, Tony Scott. Um, Ridley Scott's brother. Um, and then after that, he did Southland Tales, you know, directed, wrote and directed as well. Southland Tales, I've never seen, honestly, um, because he's another one of the... I, not, nothing against the dude, I just think he was overrated. So, like, when I... When I what, and unfortunately, once I got more into filmmaking, whenever I thought a filmmaker was overrated, I try not to support that person if I think they're fucking no good because uh, that's just my way. It's just my way of doing things. If I don't think they're, I don't like what you're doing. I'm not going to support it. I kind of take the same vibe people take with my stuff. So you know <laughs> what it is. Um, but yeah, Donnie Darko. I own it. It's one of those things. Uh, I should rewatch it. If I remember correctly, it was confusing and like jumbled and like ridiculous. But I, I should rewatch Southland Tales. 
you know, this was a time, I think, Eli Roth was pushing, I think, Southland Tales for him. Eli Roth, a local dude that everybody, you know, in the horror community, he's got a cool shark movie coming out soon, like a documentary type deal. But um, I know there was like a weird group. They almost want to put Richard Kelly in the splat pack, like that new age splat pack, which was like him, Eli Roth, Edgar Wright. Um, I think there was a couple other people in there. But, um, yeah, I don't know what the story was with them. Um, it was a crazy uh, – the whole deal was a little crazy. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, to tell you the truth, what the story is. But, yeah, Donnie Darko. And then he did The Box, which The Box I never watched. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the one with Cameron Diaz and uh, the guy from uh, um, the Bluth family there. What's that called? Uh, Jason Patrick. No, not Jason Patrick. Fucking uh, – his name? Maybe I don't get the right – maybe I don't – no, James Marsden. Yeah, I was wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, the guy who plays Cyclops in X-Men, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but uh, I remember Cameron Diaz was in it. It's the box. And I think it's that – it's, it's took from that urban legend of where a box shows up at your house or somebody shows up with a box and they say you could have – Every, uh, some weird thing where it's like you can have tell me what you want whatever you want you can have but in order for you to have that thing somebody you don't know will die and it's like a, a judge of character so to speak where they have to make a decision well I want you know this million dollars or whatever yeah. but is it worth it is that million dollars worth it to me for some stranger to die you know what I mean so it's one of those moral tales and of course I'm, I've never seen the movie but I'm sure they make the wrong decision and it comes back to haunt them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Twilight Zoney. Uh, this, uh, I tell you the truth, man. Like, I don't think I don't think a horror audience wants to see Cameron Diaz. You know, I do think that there's certain actresses and actors that a tur- horror audience is turned off to because they do other types of films and they're so known for these things. And it's that thing where we talk about them. The character is becoming so big that when they go into a movie, you're not watching. Cameron Diaz be Sarah Marshall or, you know, Mary Sullivan, you're seeing Cameron Diaz pretty much be Cameron Diaz as just with a different name. So like when you bring Cameron Diaz into a horror movie, you now have Cameron Diaz in a horror movie and a horror audience doesn't really like Cameron Diaz. So we don't find her likable. You know what I mean? And it's a weird thing where they try to mash up horror and mainstream like that. And sometimes it works, you know, like uh, World War Z, I think it was, was cool with Brad Pitt. Very weird to see Brad Pitt in a zombie movie, but it worked. You know what I mean? Cameron Diaz is one of those people that they were like, we're making a big horror movie. And she was probably like, I'd love to do a horror movie. Um, You know, PG-13 horror movie um, to add to my caliber of acting. And they were like, oh shit, we need this big star in a horror movie. And they think that they're going to get the horror fans to show up as well as Cameron Diaz fans to show up. And what happens is neither fans show up because horror fans don't like Cameron Diaz and Cameron Diaz fans don't like horror. So they really, they, they, they hurt themselves. So that's where, that's where the problem lies. You know what I mean? And, uh, I'm not surprised Richard Kelly dropped off after this. There's other film. There's Richard Kelly. There, there's a different direction. Like, a, I know it's easy to say that other decisions should have been made or whatever, but I feel like his choice and type of film, he should, 
I don't know. He's probably held to a certain point where he can't he can't make what he wants to make. He kind of has to pitch to them, well, I'm going to make this movie that has elements of Donnie Darko, which was my movie that you love me for and want me doing because I did that movie. But also we have elements of this movie and we have this superstar. And he had to sell his movie like that. So I think in order to actually get movies made sometimes, you have to bend what you what would regularly make the movie good just to get it done. And then it's a scramble to try and make up for what you're already you know, lagging on because you made that sacrifice with, with a cast member or whatever it is, or some type of sacrifice with the studio or producer. So like, yeah, it's tricky. Once you get into big budgeted horror, very delicate line. It's almost like that comic book line of you've got to follow with there because even though, the, and I do feel there's a different audience that watches mainstream horror and a different audience that watches underground horror. And I really don't think that they mash up that much. I really think that I think that there's multiple lines within horror drawn, um, not just in mainstream, big budgeted and smaller budget, but there's multiple lines within both. Um, and people don't cross over, unfortunately, um, which is very weird. But I could definitely see, you know, I could definitely understand Richard Kelly not returning after this. And he, he doesn't have anything slated for return, you know, yeah, the COVID thing, dude, with COVID, I really think bigger directors are going to be, you know, you really have to carry some weight for you to kind of survive the COVID thing, even in the Hollywood light. You know, they're going to be running back to make all these movies and they definitely have their friends in Hollywood. So the friends will always get their gigs going. And then the people that aren't exactly friends were like in cool with certain studios. I, I think they're going to get overlooked and if they can't make a budget, maybe crowdfunding or through different, you know, outside international money coming in to help them make films. If they can't find that, then they're really stuck. And a lot of those filmmakers, pretty much all of them, I feel are, they won't return to their roots. Like they won't go back to making a super low budget movie. You know what I mean? Because they know that it's harder, it's easier for it to be, uh, not as accepted. You know what I mean? If you're going in with $300,000 to make a film when you used to be able to make them for five to seven milli, it's going to be, a, you're going to be missing out on things that you used to have that you thought were, you might even be thinking are still in your arsenal that aren't even in your arsenal anymore because of financial strains. You know what I mean? So people like Richard Kelly, I feel like need to need to like go back to the wheelhouse a little bit. Um, come up with a great story, maybe find a new writer to do it or come up with a nice original idea on your own. Find, go out there and find the money, but whether it being international money or crowdfunding only works when you're famous, you know what I mean? Um, or have the money uh, or, or have half of that money in your account to put in there. That's just kind of the reality of it. But if Richard Kelly's big enough that if he went out there and said, look, I'm the dude that made Donnie Darko, I'm trying to make something like it again, I feel like the community, if he, if he could hang up a flyer in every hot topic in the world, he'd have the money in a couple weeks. You know what I mean? But, you know, it's one of those things. It, it, it's difficult. And all, all across the board, it's very difficult to get money. And uh, if, he, if, he, if he wrapped it up, shit, man, a lot of people do like Donnie Darko. So he has that under his belt. Um, and I would rather see Richard Kelly make another movie than see someone that just popped on the scene yesterday get everything. 
know what I mean? At least this dude's been hustling and shuffling around, trying to make movies and making movies and actually got some success. I mean, even if I don't like the movie, I can't deny it. And I'll always give it respect that an audience likes it because just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Like to me, I might not like it. I might consider it a bad movie, but I respect the fact that there's an audience that likes it. You know what I mean? Uh, and he definitely has an audience that'll support him. So, I mean, you know, I, I just don't know. You know, that was a big hit. And I remember that the, the box was marketed really weird and it came out at a weird time and it didn't get a lot of promotion. Um, yeah, it's almost like they didn't have faith in it. It's almost like the studio seen the film and they didn't have the faith to give it, to give it, throw all the money into it, which is something you see a lot nowadays where like if a movie, if they see a movie, if a movie is finished and they don't, they don't dig it, they might not even put it out in the theater. And if they do, they might only put it out for a week. You know what I mean? They're not going to put no TV commercials for it because they're not proud of it. You know what I mean? And they're just going to kind of let it dwindle away and put it on, you know, put it on streaming or whatever and just figure out any type of way to make anything off of it. You know what I mean? And I think that was the story of the box. I think, you know, for whatever reason, I think it just got released. Um, I almost feel like if they had more, if that studio had more horror movies to push, that, that the box might not even ever got released. The fact that Kelly did it is probably the only thing that got it released, thinking that the audience from Donnie Darko would dip over in. But it's a weird vibe, you know what I mean? Um, what can you do? What can you do? You know what, what I mean? Not much can be done. It's one of those things. Um, but yeah, Richard Kelly, Southland Tales tanked him up. I believe The Rock was in this as well. Uh, yeah, I think it uh, had um, Stifler, The Rock. Yeah. They had uh, all, all of those uh, guys in there. They actually had a, a good lineup. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is I actually picked up the movie, but I haven't watched it yet. It's one of those that was like in the $5 bin. Yeah, I think I own it as well. I think I got it for like a buck at the Dollar Tree. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but I will want one day. But it's one of those things. Donnie Darko. What, what's your take on Donnie Darko? Have you seen it? I, I saw it. I mean, it's... It's one of those films that, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised it got a cult following because it's... Emo. It's an emo yeah, movie. It's it extremely, I mean, it extremely speaks to a certain type of demographic. Yeah. Hot topic. And, Hot topic. It's like Repo Genetica. If you shop at Repo, if you shop at Hot Topic, you will probably love Donnie Darko and Repo the Genetic Opera. You know what I mean? And My Chemical Romance and Blood on the Dance Floor, Panic at the Disco, whatever they're called. And uh, you probably love that stuff. And uh, you're not wrong for loving it. That's your deal. Um, but it's definitely that group. It's definitely that audience. The Hot Topic audience loves fucking Donnie Darko. You know what I mean? It's just another, it's just another design they can carve into their arm, Hawk. That's all they really want. They want something that looks beautiful. You know, the Donnie Darko, the, 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 the bunny face. You know, you could easily carve that bunny face into your chest with a mirror and not really have too many flub-ups, you know what I mean? And at the end of the day, that's truly what matters. You know what I mean? So with that being said, my homie friend, that's kind of, uh, that was a great little part dose to our, to our film flops. You know what I mean? 
we went a little deeper into the film flops. We had some film flops and uh, some directorial career stops uh, along this road. So, hell yeah. You know, Hawkman, did you want to say anything else about uh, these film flops or these directors that careers have, have, have halted because of films that are unsuccessful financially? Well, I mean, it's... I mean... I mean, until until uh, we get to the position where you know we we have you know all all that money uh, to uh, to make our films. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that making a film is always a gamble, and even if you have you know, all the money in the world and you are doing a film that is based on a known property and all that, there's no guarantee that you're going to make it big. And plus also, if you are in that deep level of the pool where the big Hollywood uh, directors are in at this point, that it's not enough to make your money back. It's not enough even to make, you know, a, a, a decent profit over like another hundred million off of that you gotta you gotta do even more than that to uh, appease the investors appease everyone so and here's the thing I mean every time a director does another uh, uh, big budget movie that brings back a lot that means the next time that that person has to do even better so every single time you you know do extremely well, you have to do even better on the next one. And sooner or later, you're going to hit that level where you're going to not succeed. I mean, the thing is, but that doesn't mean that you stop making a film. That doesn't mean that you give up. That doesn't mean it's like all my dreams are gone. I mean, unfortunately, in Hollywood, it might mean that they say, you know what? We're not going to bankroll you anymore. You're not going to have all these you know, millions or billions of dollars to make your film. So, unfortunately, you have to go back to, you know, to the basics. So, go 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 to TV or something like that, which is a kick in the pants, especially if you work so hard to get to that level. But the thing is that the question you have to then ask yourself, are you in this just for making money? If that's the case, my advice, don't Go for the those big budget uh, uh, film productions. Try and get like in in the middle level where you can always do something for you know low price and then you know sell high, and yeah. then you know you'll you'll always be safe to make sure that you make your money and then you can go home happy. But if you want to go for that brass ring, you want to go to make that Marvel movie, that you know next Harry Potter movie. Remember that if you succeed, there'll be a huge payoff. But, you know, if you don't, then you might not be, you know, up there again for the next one. And if you are, if you do succeed, you've got to top it on your next one. So you're going to keep on trying to top it. And sooner or later, one of them is not going to be successful. You just have to be ready and accept when that happens to roll with it and try to find another avenue. Yeah. Unless you have friends in the business, then you can keep on doing flops and keep on, you know, working until, you know, you die. 
Yeah, it's a crazy deal. You know what I mean? I'm with you. I'm kudos and with you, homie. I'm kudos. And, but, uh, you know, that being, you know, that, that, that being said, I think we killed it a little bit. You know what I mean? The way that they'd be killing off their careers with these bad box office numbers, we'd be killing it on the show. You know? So let's just say, let's bid the world I do. Let's bid everybody a good night, a farewell. We'll uh, we want to thank everybody for listening. If you like this show, you know, definitely check out more shows on this podcasting network that you're hearing this at. Um, I hope you're following and subscribing to it. You also check out Boombastic Media on YouTube.com where you can find some videos of our, our episodes, you know, some inter- all our interviews make their way up there. You know, all we have some best of episodes where you'll see some of these audios in video form. Very nice. You know, we got a Boombastic Media Facebook page as well as the Boombastic Cast Facebook page. And uh, for anybody out there looking to throw down some serious support, we have a Patreon page. Uh, for Boombastic Streaming, where if you pop on there, uh, we have different tiers where you could uh, enter the family. You know what I mean? Uh, it goes from podcasting all the way up to uh, the film stuff. Everything that we own can be streamed there and, you know, opportunities for the future for you. Um, as the tiers go, the perks get better. You're not saying? You're not saying? So if that tempts you, then uh, don't don't be tempted without any payoff. Go check it out. You'll you'll really enjoy yourselves there. And uh, we of course appreciate the support in any way, whether it being listening or financially. Of course, financially is uh, financially and listening is always the best route. That's what Alex says. <laughs> um, but with that being said, we thank y'all for listening, and we'll catch y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Cut. Ooh. <laughs>